Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 241 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 8th, 2012. We've got a great show for you this week on the Peristyle Podcast. A lot of questions to get to. We've got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show, uscfootball.com beat writer covering the Trojans, and of course, Coach Harvey Hyde. In the very first segment, we're going to talk to him about what went on in that USC football game against Utah. Even though it was two days ago, we're going to still talk about that. If you have any questions or comments, we love to hear from you. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call 206-888-6755. Leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the air. we got a few of those today. You can also go to peristylepodcast.com and click on the left side of the page. Leave a voicemail right from your computer. And we do have Coach Harvey Hyde on the line right now. What's going on, Coach Harvey? Well, here we go again, buddy. It's game day, game week, the whole thing, and every game is so important now in the Pac-12. I really enjoy the Pac-12 this year. There's so much parity, and you have to bring your game. And now people are talking nationally about the Pac-12 being maybe the second toughest conference in America. They're finally getting the respect that's due to them. And I tell you, if you don't play your game, you're going to get beat. And uh, that all happens weekend after weekend. And there's a lot of surprise teams in the Pac-12. Take Oregon State. No one would have thought they would have been undefeated and ranked highly like they are. So, And then UCLA going to Cal and Cal upsetting UCLA. You never know what's going to happen in the Pac-12. And that exciting game, the Stanford-Arizona game, how can it get any better than that? So college football is here, and the Pac-12 is certainly right in the middle of it. Certainly is, Coach. And uh, before we jump into all of the college football talk, I wanted to thank Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com. If you need tickets for anything, and I know USC, this is going to be the fourth road game in five trips, but USC does have some home games coming up. So if you need tickets for any of those, you can go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287. And Coach, uh, first question I got from Terry, and he wants to know, he said uh, he's happy with the win but somewhat frustrated having to say and reading other fans saying if we had made that catch or without that penalty, et cetera, this would have been a route. Well, I'd like to get a couple of routes to at least allow us to compete more favorably with the Alabamas of the world. I think it would be good for the program players and Coach Kiffin's reputation. Can we get your comments on that, Coach Hyde? That's from Tarion. Well, let me tell you, you know, uh, uh, if you put all the if, 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 ifs together, you'd be darn good. There's a lot of ifs, ifs, ifs that have to be ironed out. And, of course, you're always going to have an if here and an if there and a call here and a call there. Uh, But uh, you've got to clean those things up to be able to play at a championship level. Now, USC certainly has played at the championship level part of the time. Now, what I'm saying, we all expect uh, expected a lot. So you expect uh, the penalties to be cleaned up. You expect the fumbles to be cleared up. You expect some of the un- stupid penalties. There's a couple of stupid penalties that were done during that game that really hurt the momentum of USC at, at uh, Utah. 
and you're playing in a hostile crowd, so you can't give them any help, and SC continues, continually makes some plays to help the opponent get fired up and give them hope that they can beat USC. Of course, when you miss two field goals and you got one of a great, you got a great kicker in Hadari, that, of course, could have changed the momentum of a game, but again, it gives them hope. You drop two touchdown passes, and it gives them hope. And it depresses your team when those type of plays happen. It depresses you. But you've got to give them credit, too, that they fought back. USC fought back to where they were in the second half of that football game, the dominant football team. They were the best football team in the second half. On top of some of the things that they did wrong, like if and if and if, they still fought back, and they did win that football game in a hostile environment, which they had to do. And I think the number one thing that I I look at is the way they fought back after that start. And I hate to be negative when I say this, but that happens to be probably the worst two minutes and 45 seconds in USC football history. I, I don't want to be negative, but then again, I want to explain what happened, too, in this. A lot of people don't understand what happened. Uh, it really does. Uh, I went for the bag of potato chips. Other people, I don't know what you did, but uh, they recovered from it. And what basically happened here is you have a center that hasn't practiced for a while, yet he's your captain of your team, and he makes a bad snap. Now, uh, what happens when you don't practice and you, and you don't practice with a guy that you've been told all week that this is going to be the best defensive lineman you've played against all, all your whole life, okay, or whatever? And so you forget about the things you're supposed to do first. You forget about the first thing you've got to do is make sure the quarterback gets the ball. Then you've got to do the second part of that, which means block the assignment which you have. But uh, Holmes had it a little bit backwards because he was thinking so much of about 92. I'm not even going to try to attempt to pronounce his name. He was a very good football player. And, uh, and that accident happened. Now, of course, Barkley should have fall, fallen on the ball. Now, that's another if. If. We've got to eliminate the ifs, if and if and if. And then also on the second series, when they had a holding penalty and then they had the bad snap, again, he was talking about or thinking about blocking 92 rather than getting the snap to Barkley. But again, they dominated early in the game, and, and, and they did only Utah on the defensive line because they had a missed blocking assignment on uh, 92, and he just blew right through there. and and uh, looked like uh, he was a hero. But, you know, if no one blocks you, you look pretty good. Now, he's a great player. Then finally, when they figured out what they were doing, he disappeared from the game. If you watch that, he sort of disappeared from the game. The right side of the offensive line really blocked well. They ran most of their plays with success to the right side of the play of, uh, field. D.J. Morgan and uh, Red, and, and too bad Curtis McNeil was injured, uh, did very well. So, from starting at a very negative situation in a hostile environment, I was really proud the way the team came back and fought through that adversity and came back to, to win a football game on the road. Um, you talked a lot about this ifs and ifs and ifs stuff, and, and part of the if problem, Coach, is, is the penalties. We had a couple of questions on that. Uh, Brian saying that the game should have been a blowout with all the penalties, but he doesn't think the team is as anywhere near as good as it was last year. And we also have a, a voicemail question on penalties, so I wanted to play that one for you, Coach. Here you go. Hi, Ryan, Coach Hyde, and Dan. It's uh, Michael from Toronto, Canada, calling. 
before I get to my question, um, I just wanted to say my brother and myself, my brother being a UCLA fan, me being obviously a big SC fan, are coming down to the uh, game at the Rose Bowl on November 17th. Um, I just wanted to say Stephanie at sctickets.com has been taking care of me and our ticket request. I uh, just wanted to say a big shout-out to, uh, to SC Tickets and Stephanie for doing that. Love it. Um, my question or comment, um, a little mixed feelings after watching the Utah game. Um, great composure and poise was shown after getting down so early. I'm really proud of our boys, the way they fought back and came back in that game, and especially a big fight on to Cal at Holmes. My question is for Coach Hyde or Dan. What can we do about these penalties? I mean, aside from the fact that the Pac-12 refs are an absolute disaster, we can't continue down this path. How are we or do we address this problem? These kind of penalties show a significant lack of discipline by the players and a lack of respect for the coaching staff and teammates. We can't continue this way against better opponents, so that's going to really come back to hurt us. I still believe in this team, and I'm truly optimistic that we're going to get this thing done. See you all at the Rose Bowl, and fight on, guys. Love your show, Ryan. Take care. Bye. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you checking in with us from uh, Toronto. We also appreciate you calling Southern California Ticket Service. They're taking care of me this Saturday night after the Washington game in Las Vegas. Elton John. Going to Elton John with my family up there and so on. So uh, Southern California Ticket Service takes care of me too. So if you haven't, called them, ladies and gentlemen out there. Call them. They'll take care of you and they'll get the best seat possible at a good price. Penalties. I've had a lot of teams that have uh, played with a lot of penalties. It's a very frustrating thing to happen. Sometimes teams are good enough to overcome these type of penalties because they're very aggressive. If you remember the Miami teams, if you remember some of the other great teams that get these type of penalties because they're so aggressive that sometimes they lose control of their emotions and do dumb things. I think this team has sometimes lost their composure. Let's use that term, lost their composure and trying to give that second effort, and that second effort is given in the wrong way. Grimble's uh, penalty was absolutely, I wrote down, I don't want to use the word stupid, but ridiculous, okay? Ridiculous. Bailey, a great player. Both these are great players. they got to clean that up. They're leaders. They're great players. They don't need to play the game that way. That hurt USC in a lot of ways. What you do is you cut out, and I've done these things before. You edit films, and you put them together, and you put them together with the team meeting, and you, and you put these 14 penalties on tape, and you run them in the team. You say, which one of these were necessary? Which one of these helped us improve? Which one of these penalties did we really need to do? And sometimes you point out penalties that shouldn't have been called, too. But you also point out how we're going to become a better football team and how we have to have a composure in order to beat great teams. Because against Oregon, if you have 14 penalties, there's no way. Oregon's got to help you win that football game, and they've got to have some of those penalties with their not uh, using their head and, and to make this type of football game where both teams uh, play at their top level and they will have to help keep their composure. So you've got to teach this. You've got to point out the negative things. The drop passes, I don't think you do that in a team meeting. You do that with the individual players. You think sometimes players are taking their eyes off the ball because they're thinking about making the big play too much. SC makes a lot of big plays with great athletes, and sometimes these kids are trying to make the big play, and they got to remember you don't have to worry about the big play. you just got to catch the ball. You don't have to score a touchdown on every single play. Take the game. Look how many yards are made after the catch with USC's great athletes. I mean, 
It's unbelievable. But you got to catch the ball first before you can make those plays. When you watch Marquise Lee run and Woods run with the football, it's absolutely fantastic. How about the catch tell for me? Wasn't that a fantastic one-handed grab? That's the type of athlete that USC has. So when you have that type of athlete, you don't need to go to the other limits of where you hurt yourself and take away your athletic ability and do dumb things. So you got to preach this to it. you got to show this to them. you got to explain that we're not trying to tell you not to play with a great speed or, or play hard. We're not trying to tell you to slow down in your intensity. We're telling you to control your emotions with your intensity. And, I, and eventually you hope it helps. And if it doesn't help, then you've got to uh, make a change, which you don't want to do. I never want to sit down a great athlete because of that, because he's trying hard. It's just sometimes you, you lose your emotion and you do things you shouldn't do. So uh, that's what you do. It's hard to explain. You see great teams. I was lucky to have great teams that could overcome the penalties like SC did against Utah. And then you have some great teams that cannot overcome the penalties and you lose the big game. So that's the best way I can explain it for you. Okay, let's go to Julian in Pacific Palisades. And he says, I know nothing about play calling, so I'm asking this question mostly for some education. USC did better on third downs against Utah, but they still seem to lack that extra push in short yardage. Might it be a good play for USC on third and short to line up some of Vanuku at tailback, Jaleel Pinner at fullback, two tight ends and one wideout, then hand off to Vanuku or play action pass to one of the tight ends, the receiver, or Pinner at fullback. So he's, he wants more of a jumbo package, it looks like, Coach. Right. Well, we've talked about this before. And um, and SC, you know, their philosophy has been early this season and uh, most of the time uh, to not depend on the short yardage run. They do it. They When they do have a short yardage situation, a lot of times they'll run to the ball and try to run a quick play, and half the time their their legal procedure or motion they hurt themselves. So it's very important that you have a package that your team believes in, and uh, it's very similar to what you're explaining. I, I had what we called a breaker uh, uh, formation where we were going to make it or break it, and we had to make it. I've discussed this with our listening audience many times, where you believe that you're going to make the short yardage down. In fact, I used to practice, and I talked about this last week, when we used this formation, we put 12 guys on defense so that our team understood that we had to make a yard. And when the the opponent saw this formation, in most of the cases, they believed they're coming right at us. In fact, we would even almost want to point and tell you we're coming right here. Simple plays, but a complete series off that formation so that they can't take you for granted. So once you decide that, you know, the play action, the delay to the white, uh, the wide, the tight end, he blocks, goes out into the corner, you bootleg off of it, you do different things, that play is wide open. So, yes, I agree with that. You've got to own the line of scrimmage when you're in certain short, short yard situations, and you can't just do it once in a while. You have to work on it. Now, it's a different philosophy at USC. You don't see them get into those type of formations often. You see Stanford use that formation a lot. You see the 49ers use that formation a lot with Big Hewitt in there and those other guys at Stanford. So you've got to believe in that short yardage situation, and you've got to practice it over and over and over, and the players have got to believe that no one can stop this. 
And once they believe that, you'll get most of your short yardage situations. And there's times when I would tell the offensive coordinator it's first on the three, I'd tell him you're not going to pass the ball and tell the guys in the huddle, we're not throwing the ball. you got four downs to score. That's it, four downs to score. So you can make it easy on yourself if you get in there on the first play. And you got to stick with that, and you do it. And those kids start believing in it. So, uh, you know, and what SC has done, and, and you know, it even happened in the Utah game. They drove all the way down the field, and they threw a fade route, <laughs> and they almost got it intercepted. Yeah. And they drove all the way down the field, Ryan, all the way down the field. Then they ran the next two plays, and they had to settle on third and five for a field goal. If they'd have run the ball, they'd have probably scored. But that's another if, okay? I don't want to talk about ifs. No more ifs. Okay. We'll uh, we'll try to go if-free podcast for the rest of the show. Um, but you know what I mean. You saw that happen, I, so that's why this young man called in and asked the question. Exactly. Let's, well, let's go back to uh, another voicemail, Coach, for, uh, for you. Here you go. Hey, Ryan and Coach Hyde. This is Aaron from Anaheim. I just have two quick comments to make. Uh, the first comment is uh, um, I thought Matt Barkley's performance on Thursday night against Utah was awesome. Um, I thought his ability, you know, he stood in the pocket. He showed great poise. Um, he made he made some great throws, and what also stood out to me was the fact that he made some plays with his feet. And I think prior to the uh, Utah game, he hasn't really scrambled much. So those are some promising things I I saw I took from that game. Um, and then my second uh, uh, comment is or question: uh, Do you think that uh, with our uh, with our defensive line and they're playing great? But our numbers aren't, you know, we don't have a lot of depth at defensive line. Do you think a player like Junior Pombe, who's like a third or fourth string uh, tight end, uh, would 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 possibly be a good fit to play defensive end instead of tight end? Uh, I know he's got good size um, and he's pretty fat. He's got good speed and he's a physical. I think he's a physical player. Um, just want to get some feedback from you guys. Anyways, love the show and uh, carry on. See ya. Well, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I have to agree with you that I thought Matt Barkley played one heck of a game. And uh, I also mentioned it that uh, the second half, they were starting to look like the type of football team we all expected them to be. And the reason for that, and uh, it's not the only reason, but I would say a major reason for that was they ran the football. And Barkley was able to throw off a, throw off a play-action pass. You saw the safeties biting. You saw the long pass that he threw for the touchdown to Lee for 83 yards. It was play-action pass. You saw a lot of the corner routes and different routes they were running was off of play-action pass. Why they bit on the run? Why they had to stop at the run? Uh, USC's backs were running the, the ball very well. In fact, let me mention this. Silas Red and D.J. Morgan, first of all, Red is a tough dude. I want you to know. I don't know. Everybody looks at his running style, but watch him block. Watch this kid block. He fills in with linebackers and blitzes on safeties. He he gets in front of the, the back on kickoff returns or punt returns. He's a kid that gives you 100% every down. And the things that are important in watching Red play is how many yards does he get after he's hit. Look and see when he's hit and tackled and how many yards he still gains. Every time he's hit, he makes three or four more yards. He gets a first down on individual effort after the hit, and that's something really great to watch. So play-action pass, I think, really hurt or helped Matt, excuse me, become a, a good football player again and look like he should look. And the play-action pass was there. And if you remember, last year the same thing. 
We started off with all the quick screens. We threw Woods, caught the ball 14 times in one game. But today, or last week, Lee catches 12 passes for 192 yards. Woods gets a touchdown pass. So you're more balanced. They have to respect the run. And you're running against a team that's pretty good defensive line. So if you can run and attack the team and run away, as you as I mentioned, 92 disappeared in the second half. I didn't know if he played. He played. We know he played. But don't 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 run into the strength of someone, uh, someone's defense. Don't pass into the strength of a coverage. Utilize what someone's doing and go to the weakness of it. And SC did that last week, especially in the second half. And uh, and uh, I think that's a, a strong way to improve. And and if you heard the TV commentators talk about it, there was more discussion about who SC was and where they might be moved up in the ranking and how they might end up the season. And you heard people starting to talk about the Rose Bowl or can they make the national championship game again. And that's because they look like they're supposed to play. And uh, and uh, now we see, and they're going to have to carry that over into the Washington game. All right, a couple more questions, Coach, before we let you go. I know you're a busy man. Um this one is another one from Julian. He says, please help me understand why USC or any other football defense would be so vulnerable on third and long. I hold my breath every time the Trojan defense faces a third down. Even against Utah, an offense with poor third down conversion stats, USC's defense had a tough time. What do you think? Well, uh, uh, first of all, uh, when they apply pressure, their defense really plays well. And one thing you have to do is apply pressure because once you stop Utah's running game, which they attempted to do with White and York, and they did, basically, then the team's forced to pass the ball. And when you apply pressure to a uh, a kid that's not really a, a premier passer, then your chances of catching and intercepting a pass like Roby did and other things happen in your favor happen. Uh, there's different philosophies. You know, you can lock on and play man and go after people, which I always love to do. Uh, But you got to have corners to be able to do that. And you got to really go after them and believe you can get to them. Uh, And then there's the uh, philosophy of uh, no one ever beats us deep. Keep the the guy in front of you. And and it's hard to stop a guy on third down if, if, if if you don't get to him. And they know it's eight yards, and they curl up at, at 12 and come back, or curl up at 13 and come back, or run it out, or come back, or whatever they ought to do. I was surprised that Utah didn't screen and didn't draw more with the pressure that USC was putting on them. Uh, it's you know you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. So you've got to have great corners, and you've got to be able to play great man defense to do what I'm telling you to do. Uh, Utah didn't throw to their backs much, so I'd have probably locked up, played man, and go after them. Uh, I think there's nothing more fearful as a quarterback than to stand back there and say they're coming. Oh, my gosh, they're coming. And mix it up, and when you come, you come with everybody. Because SC's got great team speed. So, uh, And Utah runs a different type of offense where everything's delayed more. So you can get to them. Now, when you play Washington and Oregon and some of these teams like Arizona State and Arizona, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of play-action pass, and everything comes off a series. That's real quick. Quick-hitting running plays, quick-hitting passes. 
So you've got to have different philosophies there too. So it's a combination. Sometimes you do this and sometimes you do that. And you just hope that the majority of the time you're right. (laughs) Did seem to get a little better in that game at least. So that's good. Um, One last one for you, Coach. Uh, This is from David who sent in about maybe a two-page question. And then I emailed him and said, I think it's a little too long. And then I got about a one-page question. So still several paragraphs long. I'll try to paraphrase. We do love that, you know, love your questions, but try to keep them concise so we can read them easily on the air. Uh, He said, I believe, so a, a couple of things. Kiffin, I believe, approaches coaching from an NFL standpoint. He doesn't seem to believe that you make it simple for your athletes so that they can use their talent. Kiffin is like a mad scientist on the sidelines with a huge play chart doing a bad imitation of Bill Walsh. Walsh would script out 15 plays mainly to see how the other team reacted to them. If something worked well, he noted that. Kiffin seems determined to try and keep the other team off balance, which seems to keep his team off balance. And he kind of goes on about, but that's the general theme. He's not exactly happy with the way Kiffin's kind of handling himself on the sideline there. And I know you're a former coach and you guys all stick together, but what do you think about that whole situation? Well, you know, we're all second guessing now and I'm just giving you my opinion, but I believe when you have great athletes and my, my motto was get great athletes and get great coaches and then keep it very simple. Because if you got a great athlete that has to think about what do I do on this play or where do I line up, then you're taking the athletic ability out of them. If you watch Oregon play, they have five plays, maybe six. All right, let's give them six. And they run them out of all different formations. they got two remaining backs. they got one. You know what they're going to run. They're going to run the dive or they're going to run the cross series or they're going to run the blast back to the other side. They're going to run it quick. It's part of like an old offense, too. They take big splits. So all the offensive linemen have to do is tie and let the backs run through there, and they blast on the linebackers, and away they go. Or they pull the guard around and block the linebacker, and away they go. Then they play action pass off of all of it. And they make their run go, and they make the run hit quick. Why? Because the safety's got to come up and make the play, and then all of a sudden the passing game's open. So I've always felt to keep it easy, keep it smart, Keep the athletic ability in the players. Because if my ex, I said this last week, is bigger than your O and my O knows what he, my ex knows what he's doing, you got to stop it. And you got to be able to just line up simply, see what they're doing to play you, and beat them. And your guys know what's happening. Just like when, uh, when Utah was jumping around and sliding on the defensive line and confusing the offensive lineman there for a while, just doing a quick count. Now you're telling the defense what to do. Just come out, line up, and say, Hup! and away you go, and they'll be in the middle of their shift, or they won't be in the defense that they're supposed to be in, and all of a sudden you won't see that anymore. And whenever teams start blitzing and so on, you go on a quick count. Because they're coming in, they're showing it, and they're backing it back out, and they're coming in, and they're showing it. Hey, you better show it, and you better do it, because we're just going to come up, line up, Hup! and away we go. So you're not going to fake me or one or the other. We're going to put in the ball. And you do that by running simple plays, simple formations. So you know what to do in certain situations. So I agree with that philosophy because that was my philosophy. I remember one day, and I'm going to use this story here when I answer this question. Randall Cunningham was our quarterback at UNLV. 
But he was also a punter, too, if you remember. He was first-team All-American punter at UNLV. I remember one day I was out there, and we have special teams coaches, as you know. And I looked over there, and I saw my special teams coach holding the ball and telling Randall how to hit it with his foot. And I walked over to him, and I said, what are we doing here? And he says, oh, Randall's not keeping the nose down when he he punts the ball, and he needs to hold it up higher. I said, I'll coach the punters from now on. Hey, this guy was averaging 50, 60. I don't know. He kicked him so high I couldn't see him in the press box. <laughs> I mean, really. They, they, I mean, he he has a record I still in the NFL, I think, on the longest punt ever. I'm not sure. And we're going to coach him? I'm not going to coach him. We're just going to make sure that nobody hurts him because I was always scared somebody would be blocking the punter, punt, you know, and run into him and hurt him. So we couldn't utilize it. That's why I never used my quarterback, my number one quarterback, in holding the ball on PATs. And I see SC's changing that now. Never. Can you imagine a guy comes in and blocks the PAT and goes into your quarterback and knocks him out for the season? So that's the only reason why I never wanted him to hold the PAT either. I used to have the backup quarterback or another one of the kickers because they work together all day. Why not have a kicker do it? Because they could work on it all day long, the backup punter, the backup PAT kicker, somebody. And that way, I didn't want to ever coach him. And I didn't want to coach guys that know what they're doing, okay? You recruited them for a reason. Why did we recruit him? Why did we recruit this place kicker? We recruited him because he's pretty good at what he does. Leave him alone. (laughs) Just let him kick the ball. You're going to get him and coach him? What the heck, you know? So coach up what you're supposed to coach up and make sure they block for him and he gets it off in the amount of time that we give him to punt the football and I'll coach him from now on. And that's a true story. That's all <laughs> great stuff. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with what, what's working, I guess. It, you, can, you can make yeah, things yeah. more complicated, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I agree, too, what they're talking about at USC as far as that one corner spot. Nothing against. Anybody who's playing in the secondary, and if you remember last week, I talked about moving Josh Shaw out there. And, you know, you're, you're talking about putting Lee over there, which which he really came to. See, I thought he was going to be a defensive back when he came because I saw him in high school, and I thought he was fantastic. He didn't. He was a receiver, but Farmer was a receiver at, at uh, down there at, where at Gardena High. Not Gardena. What high school did Sarah. he go to? Sarah High School. And, yeah. Sarah High, yeah. But uh, let, let, let me tell you, you got other guys that played in the secondary. They're receivers that aren't playing. Flournoy, Blackwell. You got some kids that are great athletes. You got to get your athletes on the field. And I'm not telling the coaches what to do, but I'm just saying, make sure your athletes are on the field. And uh, I don't think it'll hurt Lee at all. Deion Sanders did it. Others did it. I- I'm going to tell you, I'd, I'd, in crucial situations, especially goal line situations, a man would be over there. And I'd, I'd say, you got man, playing man. And you want me to tell you right now, they ain't going to throw the ball over there. Yeah. They're not. They're not going to throw the ball over. you got Ro- Roby and him in there now. He knows all the moves. When you play offense, you know all the moves what offensive receivers do. Let him come up and, and put his face right in your face and don't play off and try to beat him. I, I tell you, if you're going to win, you got to shore up all your, your areas where people are going to attack you. And uh, 
and uh, you got to do that. Okay. All right. Great stuff, Coach. Really uh, appreciate you coming on the show, sharing all your insights. As always, a lot of fun. Well, it'll be look forward to talking to you after the Seattle game up there in, uh, against Washington up in Seattle. Should be fun. Yep. I'll be back. I'm going to be up in Vegas this week. Uh, I'll be watching it on TV. They're going to put my 84 team in the Hall of Fame, so I'm going to have to I'm be at a banquet, but I'm going to still do the pregame show and Sunday brunch show up there, and and I'll still be I'll be back here Monday for this show. So uh, I want to wish everybody a great football weekend and and enjoy it because I tell you, you do realize we're almost halfway through the football season. Crazy, Brian? crazy. It, it it it's going too fast. So enjoy every moment of it. Uh, thank you and congratulations to you, Coach. And uh, we will look forward to talking to you next week. Everyone else, hey, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined, as promised, by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who's just uh, was a little under the weather, but I think you're feeling a little bit better. Hopefully, Dan, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Getting ready for uh, two different uh, trips. You go to the, the dry uh, dry country, and now you're going back to the uh, uh, back to Seattle. So uh, it's kind of nobody has a, a front-loaded road schedule like the Trojans. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, four and, out of five you know, games I mean, on the road. They're doing everything they can uh, to try to handle it. And I'm not so sure the Palo Alto game mattered, whether it was a road, road game or not. But, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, along the way that will help. Uh, maybe if they end up with uh, wherever they they go to a bowl game or, or whatever, uh, you know, nobody prepares you to travel at the top level of college football the way USC does. And that's good and bad. Uh, they do go time zones and they do fly and uh, they do face hostile crowds. And uh, again, you know, that ought to be probably some kind of a recruit, you know, a recruiting pitch, you would think, because, uh, you know, they're not staying home and playing, uh, you know, directional schools from, uh, you know, the FCS. It's just, uh, that's just not what USC does. No, I go all the way across country. They played a couple, two, Two road games in, in two different time zones, one including the East Coast all the way the other side of the country. Four out of five road games. Pretty brutal stretch, and it's going to end up with a tough one up in Seattle. I mean, it's going to be a, a hostile crowd up there, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a, people don't know this. It's the loudest stadium in the NFL. Uh, you know, and Husky Stadium was always a loud place, and uh, the way the uh, – with the roof and the and – the, uh, uh, the way the seating uh, was down in that bowl, uh, even with the open end that, you know, looked out on Lake Washington, it was still a, uh, uh, you know, a loud, loud stadium. But then uh, uh, Century Lake Field is really, really uh, steep. And, uh, you know, like Utah, Utah, uh, Rice-Eccles Stadium, 
uh, not terribly big, but very uh, cozy and confined and uh, very, I mean, it looked like a basketball arena without a roof. Uh, it was that close to the to the field, and that's the, that's the way it is with an uh, Oregon. That's where you have these stadiums where they're really, really right on you, uh, and the, the fans know that they can disrupt you. I mean, they were, there was more conversation between the fans and the players uh, than you had, than you're, you're normally used to, and basically the fans are, you know, they're pretty much right on the bench. So uh, some of the freshmen, you could tell at, at, at Utah, were kind of having conversations. <laughs> with some of the fans who they didn't barely have to turn around to talk to them. Uh, and so uh, it was a good, probably a good learning lesson just to, you know, get you ready for those kinds of, those kinds of environments. And, and I guess what USC's now played in three of the four time zones. Uh, and this is against probably, uh, if you look at some of the other conferences, may not have played in any other time zone. Uh, so uh, uh, USC, uh, you know, I'll get you ready for, we're going places. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we got a bunch of questions, so I want to jump right into it. This is our friend we met a month or two ago, out in front of the uh, practice field. I got to answer one of his questions last week, but um, uh, we didn't have you on the show. But we'll. Uh, we, he sent in another one, thankfully, and uh, here it is for you. Hello, Ryan and Mr. Weber, Garrett. The question this week is: It seems as though um, the kids may have. In the corner, I hope against Utah after falling behind 14 to nothing. Um, first of all, do you think that assessment is correct? And two, if um, you can characterize kind of the the vibe and the mindset of the team right now, coming off the heels of Stanford's uh, loss to Stanford two weeks ago, where is the where's the mindset of the team right now? Thank you for your time and hope you have a nice day. Uh, again, that's Garrett Whip from St. Louis. Take care. Have a nice day. Thank you. Bye bye. Again, I got another good question. Uh, you know, is the uh, you know how much of the team was uh, fourteen to nothing? Uh, you know, jumping behind into uh, the first two forty-five, and how much of it is the thirty-eight to seven run they went on after that? I mean, that's pretty impressive. Uh, uh, you know, to run, uh, especially against a team that's all excited at that point, and uh, you know, all. You know, with a 14-point lead, I mean, that's how Utah has beaten people. Utah, I don't know if people realize this, they hadn't ever lost a Thursday night game. I mean, they were just always sitting up there waiting for teams to come in, play them on Thursday night and on television. And uh, they jump on them, surprise them, get them a little out of their rhythm, and, you know, do what they did to USC. I thought uh, uh, Colin Holmes really stepped up well afterwards the way he handled it, talking to the players, talking to us. I mean, he just, you know, it happens, it happens. The problem I think that, you know, that USC has is they've got to figure out how to get into these games and basically how to get into these seasons uh, a little more smoothly, a little more, you know, whether everybody's on the same page and where they're playing fast and where they're really able to attack and confident. And, uh, you know, instead of being a counterpuncher, we're seeing a lot of, you know, well, we'll take what they give us. Uh, but we're not sure what they're going to give us because none, nobody plays the same uh, same way against us, and they, you know, compared to how they played all year. So we're just guessing. And there does seem to be a little bit of a of a battle in the minds of the USC approach to games right now. Is do we go in there and just say, look, we're USC. 
This is what we do. We've got Robert Woods and Marquise Lee. We've got Matt Barkley. We're going to throw the ball. I mean, it's interesting. There was a lot of discussion last week or the, or the 10 days before the Utah game about something's wrong with Matt's arm. And then he goes out, and I, I did track that the one play to Marcus Lee. He threw the ball 66 yards on the, in the air on the, on the money. Uh, didn't look like there was anything wrong with his arm. But when people are, you know, questioning that just because they haven't seen him throw the ball downfield, it makes you wonder, should teams be able to totally take away your ability to throw the ball deep and to have a vertical game? Uh, or is that, you know, USC kind of saying, well, we're not sure if we can block it. We're not sure if we can protect the quarterback. We're not, we're not, we're not. I think, you know, the mindset kind of has to be the mindset that when you're down – 14 to nothing, and you got to really, you know, you got, but you still got to run the ball. They didn't panic. I like that. They they ran the ball, maybe not as well, obviously, as they did against Cal. But uh, um, I thought you see glimpses of it where the mindset is completely right, where the mindset is let's attack them, let's pound them. Uh, you bring in a DJ Morgan, and they run him right at him. And, you know, DJ blocks people in the passing game, then he runs hard, protects the ball. Shows that quickness. Uh, that's the USC team you want to see, you know, where you're physical, where you really go after them. Um, uh, I thought on on defense, I thought maybe uh, they were almost – it was interesting. The linebackers, for some reason, sort of got gotten out of the game a little bit. They didn't have the, the dominant stats. They kind of got out of their out of their uh, – you know, running lanes and, and angles and, and a little bit, and still they hung in there pretty well. Uh, but uh, I thought, I guess maybe the one good thing about, you know, the defense is we had, I think, six of the top seven tacklers were not linebackers, which shows you you're getting more people into the game. Now I think they need to be, you know, figure out how to really, really attack and really play full speed on defense without giving things up. And obviously they've got to solve the other the famous other uh, cornerback spot because teams teams are not stupid. They watch the film. They know where they have to go to attack you when they need, you know, third and eight and end up throwing a touchdown pass because uh, your cornerback's not sure if he's supposed to, exactly where he is supposed to be playing, uh, what his technique is supposed to be, and what kind of help he's going to get from somewhere else. And you end up with guys standing there you know, it happened at Stanford. It happened uh, at Utah, where a guy runs right by people, makes one simple cut, one little cut, quick post pattern. He's open for a touchdown. You know, boom, bang. You know, and you you made him work. You know, the last 20 plays on offense, and all of a sudden, bang, bang, they got a, they've got an easy score. That has to stop. I mean, yes, he has to absolutely, uh, you know, be more solid. I mean, you can't say we've got 10 pretty good defenders. Uh, you really need 11. And uh, so, you know, when you talk about where their mind is, I think their mind is, you know, as good as, as it is uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how they're going to attack people and will they do it with the whole team for the whole game. And, uh, you know, force people to make plays against you. I mean, I thought there were some times when they, you know, John Hayes is a backup quarterback. It's, it, it's you know, at uh, Utah, Josh Nunez, was a quarterback who showed a lot of flaws uh, against Washington uh, for Stanford. And I think they allowed both of those probably 
to have a little better game than they should have had. They probably should have been running for their lives a little bit more. And uh, I think, you know, those are some things I think USC has to figure out and going forward here when you talk about uh, where is their head, where is their mind, how, how have we got this all squared away. I don't think we know completely yet, but we see, uh, we see glimpses that they do. All right. Um, Melvin had a question, and I think a lot of USC fans want to know about this too. Why do you think USC had so many penalties like false starts, illegal motions, and personal files when they had an extra week to prepare for the game? That's from Melvin. I do think, and this is probably things you know we can comment on at, at practice, I do think the focus is so much on who do you block and what's the call and how do we adjust and how do we... I think there's a much more of a classroom focus on getting into you know the first half of every season. And I don't see the full speed of running of, you know, of, of the offense as much as I see did they get the answer right? Did they get the right blocking call? Did they go in the right direction? But I think an equal component of that is did they go all at the same time, uh, quickly, aggressively? Uh, and I, we don't see that as much. Uh, we, we see more of a, I mean, and this is why I used to, you know, when you cover NFL teams and you go to practice and you just want to shoot yourself, it, 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 practice was like, I can't stand it. This is like watching the classroom on the field. for Because they didn't have to coach those guys up. These were 30-year-old guys that had played 10 years after college and spent 48, 50 hours a week doing nothing but football. And they had their own way of doing things. It just wasn't any fun to watch. It, when you watch USC approach practice, it does seem a little more uh, cerebral as opposed to physical. And a lot of the mistakes, you know, you can say they're, they're mental mistakes, but a lot of them are physical. A lot of them are, are just basic muscle memory kinds of things and discipline kinds of things. And I think they need to do, uh, you know, it's a second guess. I'd like to see them do maybe not so many things and do them much more, uh, securely, safely, smartly, and, uh, you know, efficiently and aggressively and all that. And if that means cutting down the playbook, eh, cut down the playbook. You know, just have one side with all your plays on it, you know, or just have 14, you know, things on Matt, you know, Barkley's wrist that he can go through. You know, I mean, it's like the yellow pages. And I really do think the, uh, it's college football. These are 20 year old kids, much closer to high school kids than, uh, and 30-year-old NFL veterans, uh, you know, Matt Khalil maybe could do it. And even Matt, you know, Khalil, I think there were times where um, he would he would get one of those because he wanted to hit somebody. Uh, and at, at times uh, <laughs> uh, there would be would be kind of a frustration. So I think it's a combination of things. I think there's some mental mistakes that they could, you know, iron out on the field uh, in practice by really doing them, uh, you know, full speed and physical and, aggressively and then there may be at the beginning of each year and this is the third straight year there may be a whole lot more going on where these kids are constantly thinking 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 i look at andre walker and i do think 
man, he's doing a lot of thinking before he is actually kind of reacting on every play. And, uh, you know, and, and before he's attacking. And, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, with the zone blocking scheme, everybody's got to be on the same page. Everybody's got to do it right. If one guy, you know, you know, the four zigs and three and, and the other guy zags, that can be tragedy. You know, I mean, and they've had a lot of that where all of a sudden somebody's uncovered. Uh, so, uh, uh, uh um, I just have a different philosophy, I think, in some ways, uh, I, in, in terms of uh, how do college teams get themselves into seasons where they can do what they do and not do things that, that kind of go on back. I mean, we don't have we don't have the same number of officials at, at practices uh, flagging them in that anymore. I mean, you don't see that. Uh, don't know if that's if that worked or not. It didn't. They didn't seem to – the most recent – recently when they brought officials to practice, they didn't seem to do very much uh, flag throwing. I mean, uh, and I know flag throwing is the only category that the Pac-12 leads the country in in terms of not, <laughs> just, not just number of flags thrown, distances. Because they – you know, it can't be – uh, just, uh, you know, where you look at it and say, was he really 30 yards away from the play when he threw that flag? But, boy, they can throw this flag. Now, they don't get there very quickly. Uh, but, man, they can launch this flag. I think I'd take the <laughs> – if there was an Olympics or flag throwing, I'd take the Pac-12. They got guys – when the teams get into the red zone, the, the back judge doesn't actually know where to go because he goes and he gets in the front row of the band. And then he realizes, man, I can't line up where I normally do. Uh, it's uh, – it's scary watching uh, Pac-12, the mechanics, the Pac-12 officials, who seem to be so far from the play, and yet throw so many flags. You know, clearly, uh, MB2 Trojan on the on the board uh, yesterday had some astonishing statistics comparing the number of penalties and penalty yards that uh, are uh, called by Pac-12 officials compared to every other official uh, conference official group in the country, and we got to check on those. I mean, they were unbelievable numbers yeah. uh, in terms of how many more num- how many more penalties that are uh, that are called in Pac-12 games. It's just uh, it's astonishing. It is. Uh, well, let's let's move on. I know we got a bunch more to get to, Dan. Here's we got another okay. uh, voicemail question for it. Here you go. Hey, what's going on? This is Calvin from the San Fernando Valley. Uh, watching that Utah USC game, DJ Morgan played outstanding the time that he got in. Wanted to know what Lane Kiffin planned to do with them in, uh, in the future, the tailback position. And also, I like the secondary play. I feel that they have stepped up the last few weeks. Um, want to see if uh, Demetrius Wright is going to get a little bit more playing time back there in the safety position. Other than that, guys, be good. Fight on. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, good observations. I think Lane interesting like lane always afterwards he said we had him in there and and dj said the same thing he said they put me in first for pass protection and i got my block and i remember watching this he was coming off the field and they said no no stay in stay in and then he got to run the ball so it really made an impression on uh, dj and it also made an impression on lane he said no no you got your block on that pass protection you stay in there and then, of course, he protected the ball so well, and he still got that burst. I mean, I think you can now, if you're watching now, he says, 
protecting the ball is number one. And yet he still has that burst, and he's 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 become the kind of running back that that, that Kennedy Palomalu wants. You know that one cut, bang. You know one cut, boom, go for it, and take advantage of that. Uh, you know, running behind that zone blocking scheme. So uh, I think the, the, the you know the reaction to DJ was uh, was completely positive. I think Lane was just ecstatic, considering he hadn't really had any contact and game action, and uh, uh, for three you know three weeks and just what he was able to do. I think they were just you know just thrilled to death. Uh, DJ's grown up. He's uh, you know he came in as the fastest junior uh, hurdler in the world. I mean, just think about it. How, you know, when you're a world-class athlete at that level, uh, you're really special. And then when he, you know, kind of lost that with the, um, you know, the knee surgeries and what have you, and even have a, another minor one this year, uh, great, great effort and uh, a level of confidence if you've got three guys. Because uh, those kids play hard. They get hit hard. I mean, Curtis McNeil, um you know, Silas Red, they they are not afraid to run into people, and uh, you know they're not the biggest guys in the world. So uh, to have a third guy who, uh, who you can really feel like you can depend on is, is a tremendous luxury for him. And I do think Demetrius is right. It's a tough spot because I know he he's a tough kid. Uh, he's in a position where they've got two veterans. You know, with uh, a couple. You know, how many years starting between uh, you know T.J. McDonald and Jawan Starling, and uh, Yet I know they're thinking, you know, Demetrius with, um, with uh, you know, Gerald Bowman, and, and we'll see how the Josh Shaw thing plays out for next year. But I know they, you know, they, it's kind of a comfort level in having those returning starters and guys that know everything that, you know, and they want that one safety to play. It's so safe. Uh, and yet uh, uh, I know they, you know, Demetrius is a tough kid and, uh, and, and makes plays. And uh, I think I think you know maybe uh, at times he's gotten lost and and maybe not necessarily rightly so, but uh, but I think they really want to get him up to speed and you know he can be you know really important uh, next year. I mean really really and I, I think he can be important this year, but you know it's a position of, of a great deal. You got Drew McAllister, you know senior back there, smart also you know smart tough kid. Uh, it's it's one place where where they're not having to necessarily go look you know to find bodies and so uh, you know there are times when those guys maybe would like to get more action and people would like to see them get more action. I think they're trying to figure that out uh, and I think it's really important for them to do that. I think it's hard too, Dan. Juanta Starling's been playing really well. He had a yeah. interception in practice yesterday, a, a, a close to another one. I mean, he seems to be around the football and he seems to be making plays. So, with TJ McDonald yeah. and, and Juanta Starling playing as well as he is, it's hard to break in there sometimes. Well, and I think because they're doing different things with TJ, we always notice that the way they're trying to turn him into a hybrid defensive end and moving, you know, doing the Troy Palomalu stuff. At the same time, the other safety then. You know, it's kind of that yo-yo effect. He, you know, he has to go the other direction, and that takes a lot of kind of uh, you know interpersonal uh, you know work between those two safeties. You know, where uh, so you know time on the field and just repetitions is so important because you only need one breakdown there, and you're giving up six, and that's the thing that scares them the most. So it's uh, you know and, and you know is Demetrius more suited you know for the uh, T.J. McDonald's spot, then 
than necessarily, you know, the Juwan's a spot. So, I mean, TJ's a, you know, he's a tough, strong, you know, hitter. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I know they, they focus so much. I mean, that, that, that safety does so many things for them and the, the combination of the two. Uh, that, uh, uh, but I do think we could see it a little bit in the Utah game that they really are trying to, you know, make sure that, that Demetrius gets, uh, gets, you know, gets out there. And I think the, the whole question with Josh Schaffer this year or next year is, where does he get enough experience, and where does he get comfortable enough so uh, that he's ready to go where he is, uh, where he's best, you know, able to, you know, step in for, for TJ or, or Jawanza next year. So, uh, it's an interesting kind of dance that they're doing with the safeties in terms of trying to, you know, get this year right, take advantage of, of their ability. I mean, I like the way they they they're really working with the safeties. You know, it takes it takes them a while to. Have that kind of confidence to say, okay, TJ, we're going to let you do, we're going to let you do some things here. Uh, but then, you know, everybody has to be on the same page. It's not just the one guy; it's, it's everybody else reacting to him as well. All right, uh, let's move on to Lee. He said Lane Kiffin stated during that during short yardage plays, Utah did something with their defensive line that is illegal in the pros, but not in college. I believe it was causing USC to have false start penalties. Can you explain what that was? Yeah, and Lane used the word like STEM, uh, S-T-E-M. But basically, they just, at the very, later than probably anybody in college football, they shift those linemen. Now, they've got good ones and, re- and veteran hitters with Star, uh, Lola, uh, Taylor or whatever, and, uh, and the Kruger brothers and those guys have been playing, it seems like, forever. Uh, and it was interesting. Their cheering section kept a five-yard uh, penalty sign that like uh, uh, if you go to a baseball game with, uh, uh, you know, Verlander pitching or somebody, you know, who gets a lot of strikeouts and the, and the fans have the big K's, you know, and they just throw those K's on the wall. Well, they have, I think they lead the country in uh, enforcing uh, false start penalties. And in the NFL, they will not let you, uh, because they say the offense can't do it, they won't let you shift quickly right at the, uh, right before the snap on offense. How can you let the defense do that? But in college football, it's a loophole. Uh, they allow college football teams to shift like that. The, the problem I thought that Lane mentioned, and I thought and Lane handled it really well. You just, you know, he talked to Tony Carreni, the NFL ref who heads the Pac-12 officials the week before the game, talked to the officials at the game. It sounds like mostly they agreed with Lane. Okay, there is something college football has got to probably clear up. The problem I've got is that uh, teams don't just make that move, coordinated uh, shifting at the last second, without some kind of a signal. Lane said that he and USC felt that they were hearing a call from the uh, defenders at the last second, moving in uh, into uh, uh, a new position, a different gap, let's say, or a different angle at the line of scrimmage at the last minute. Well, now, if the Utah linemen can hear that call, so could the USC linemen. So now you're an offensive lineman. You're confronted with a guy who's not only moving at the last second, but you hear a call right before your snap call. Uh, Lane said he was told by the uh, referee that it wasn't loud enough for them to call, to penalize because you're not allowed to make the call that, that influences and sounds like the quarterback's snap call. But – Obviously, 
they're making a call. I mean, they're not just moving, coordinated moving more than one guy. They're not doing that on their own. Uh, you have to have some kind of a signal. For the officials to say they didn't think it was loud enough, and yet they thought they should penalize USC for false starts, and basically USC got the same number of false starts that everybody that plays Utah gets. Uh, that's got to get cleared up. Something's got to be, uh, even at the conference level, uh, you know, Utah has to be warned if they're going to make a call, they're going to get called on it, and they didn't. They didn't call them once on uh, on making a call. And I think and, and Lane saluted Kyle Winningham said, you know, they, they they found something they can do. They do it really well. You know, good for them. I'd like to change the rule, but good for them. Uh, so he didn't complain, and uh, I like that. But uh, I do think it's got to be uh, the conference has to say uh, if, if there's any call at all that possibly can uh, uh, throw off the offensive line, it's going to be penalized. All right. Uh, Andre wants to know, he says, USC currently number one, I mean, I'm sorry, number 11 in the new AP poll and uh, number nine in the coaches poll. Two future opponents, number two, Oregon, and number seven, Notre Dame, ranked ahead of them. If they can run the table and go undefeated the rest of the season, can USC realistically play for the national championship? You know, I think you can make a case mathematically uh, better than you can make a case to the way USC's playing. I mean, here's a team that hasn't played close to a really full, you know, complete game on both sides of the ball for 60 minutes. Not even close. Not, not anywhere near. Uh, and we really, is a team, we really don't know. Can they block well enough? Or not, we don't know. I mean, they, they just haven't shown you. So, yeah, you can make that case that you know if everything goes right, and you know Notre Dame beats Oklahoma at Oklahoma, and and uh, you know do you want Notre Dame to beat Stanford this week or not? You know USC can't do much about Stanford, but uh, they can certainly do you know something about Notre Dame. You get two teams that heck Notre Dame beats Oklahoma. If Notre Dame runs the table and beats Stanford and Oklahoma and doesn't fall to anybody else, and they don't, they got some, I mean, Wake Forest is horrible this year, Boston College just looks awful. Uh, they don't They don't have a lot of places they can stub their toe. Uh, heck, they could be second. And uh, so, you know, and you get both of them at the Coliseum. So uh, that's about as, as much as USC could ever ask for. That's a good, it doesn't get any better, that scenario, if you get better. If you take care of business, you know, and taking care of business starts this week, you know, in Washington. And it start, it, it really includes those two Arizona teams. You know, you're going to play, you know, Arizona took uh, Sanford into overtime at Palo Alto, and they survived. They certainly had a lot more success blocking uh, Sanford and throwing the ball down the field against Sanford uh, with their offense than USC did. So when you're going to the, you know, and they've had a couple of games that they just – you know, probably should have done better than they uh, than the results. Uh, Arizona, they'll be waiting for USC in Tucson. That's 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 going to be a you know that's going to be one you can't look past. I've always thought that was the one. If you, I couldn't find a trap game more than the the Stanford. I mean the uh, excuse me the Arizona game. I think that's the that's a possible trap game. And then every time you watch Arizona State, all you say is, man, they're good. They're really good. They can play. Uh, They've done a marvelous job with, uh, you know, their adjustment to, uh, you know, Todd Graham's system and all that, although there are times it doesn't look all that much like what Pittsburgh did. Uh, I really like uh, what I'm seeing with Arizona State. So, yes, he's got a lot of 
a lot of things to think about way before plotting the scenario of how the how the season could end. Uh, I mean, I, I can understand USC fans. Three times, you know, they've had that if only, what if. What if we win the last second? What if they're taking these guys seriously? What if, yeah, yeah, exactly right. So USC fans are very well versed in uh, not, you know, close but no cigar. And I can see how now they're thinking, did we put ourselves in the exact same situation a fourth time uh, and able to play out all the scenarios? I do think the scenarios are much more favorable than I think anybody rooting for USC would have hoped they could be. But they're not favorable at all if USC doesn't take care of business and really get better week after week after week. And it's time now. I mean, they, they don't have any more time to say, uh, we don't know why they're not catching them. I mean, uh, you know, we've had every single game this year, we have someone come out and say, man, Matt Barkley could have had a really good game if there wouldn't have been so many drops. Well, I'm trying to think back. Did we ever say that last year? I mean, they just caught the ball. You know, they were open, they threw it to them, they caught it. It's surprising some of the things that, that we're, we're still looking at and don't really have any good answers as to, as to why they haven't been able to put together a full game yet. I mean, you know, you're five games into the season. You'd be, you know, exactly halfway this Saturday, and it's like not even close that you could find a 60-minute a, a effort on both sides of the ball. So uh, I think that, to me, I would look much more at, how do they do against Washington that whatever happens with the whole rest of the country? That's the key, I think. All right. Uh, and then one last topic, Dan. Um, the the moving of Marquise Lee to quarterback, we asked Lane Kiffin about it yesterday after practice, and he said it's just something they're looking at. He doesn't want to take anything away from what Lee does on offense, not even when he's just not catching the ball, that defenses have to change things. So he doesn't want to have him lose any reps and practice on offense, but it sounds like he still would like to get his athleticism over there playing corner. What do you, I mean, a lot of fans are, are freaking out and they don't want to hear this, even though probably those same people said there's no way he should ever play receiver. He needs to be a, a safety or whatever. Right. But what do you think about all that? Well, I like it. The idea the competitors, I, uh, we were wondering about where Marquise's head, I think was a little bit last week and, and uh, before the game and, Really liked the way he he responded. I think that was good. I, I, there were days in practice and that where you couldn't tell who was on what page. You know, I mean, guys were just balls were hitting the ground and going one direction and all that kind of thing. And so I thought that was a, a terrific effort by Marquise. And I can see him, you know, wanting to you know contribute more. And I like the idea that they would entertain it from the standpoint of making the point. He's got to play better at that other corner. Now, I'm not sure whose who fault it is. You, know, you watch kids who pride themselves in their cover skills and their speed and their whatever, and then they're standing there, and guys are running by them. And it's every single guy that's played that other corner has been in a position where he's just allowed people to run right by him. Now, if Marquise played that way, what, what would be the point of having him out there? I mean, anyway, I could stand there. You could stand there and have people, you know, 15 yards deep and let some guy cut in front of you and just go. And then you run behind him and try to tag him after he catches the ball in the end zone. Uh, so what the issue there is, I don't know. I think it's it's also a reward. That story gets out there, and people around the country say, damn, that Marquis, he really is that good. Uh, and uh, so I think it solidifies, you know, 
their feeling that Marquis Lee is the best receiver in the country. And I, I think it helps make that point, which is probably good for Marquis. And I don't think it's, you know, it's done just for that purpose, but it's to allow people to know that this kid would be in there on every play if he could. And, you know, this is the kid that, you know, tries to hurdle guys and, you know, and you're trying to tackle him in midfield using his, uh, you know, track skills from the, you know, the springtime and all of that kind of, you know, willingness to whatever you need me to do, I'll do. I'll return, you know, every kick you want me to return and, uh, you know, whatever play you want me to make. And I'm starting to block uh, and I'm, you know, doing anything I, I can do. So I think it's kind of a reward for just Marquis' attitude as a, kind of an attitude influence, influencer for this team. Uh, but, uh, you know, and is it a red zone thing? You know, when you bring in a 50 defensive back, do you bring in Marquise? Uh, maybe. You know, if Lane says, well, the other, defense, other cornerback is an issue, or sometimes when we have five defensive backs, it's two issues. Well, maybe one of those two issues, you could actually play Marquise. If, uh, you know, if, if somebody's third and 12 on the 12-yard line, Third and goal in the 12, I might not really mind having Marquise as one of those defensive backs that they're going to throw it into the end zone, you know. So I, I, I thought that was a good good response, especially if it was sort of initiated by Marquise watching the film on defense and saying, you know, there are ways I can help you. Uh, that's all it would be. I mean, it, it wouldn't be any – they have to find another cornerback. They just have to find somebody that can play. I like the fact they're looking a little bit more at Ryan Henderson and and, uh, and Ryan Dillard. I mean, let let's see. I mean, I, I just think you know, don't no preconceived notions about that spot. Just see somebody who can go out there and compete, and understand what they want them to do, but maybe try to make it a little more clear what they want to do. I mean, just from the way um, Kevon Seymour, for example, was was lined up on that touchdown that post pass to Christopher in front of him I don't think he had any idea what he was supposed to do now is that his fault whose fault is that I I don't know but man they got to do better than that yeah and, and Marquise wouldn't have done a whole lot better had he had to, uh you know started out where uh uh, uh, uh Kevon uh started out on that play all right anyway. that, I'm sorry yeah, well, uh, good stuff here. We had a long segment, but that's all right. We wanted to. Uh, we didn't get you out last week, so we needed to uh, get some more stuff from you and figure out what's going on heading into the Seattle game. But thanks again for uh, coming on the show, Dan. Really appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed it very much. Good questions, everybody. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for sending in those questions. And thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, episode 241. We're getting up there for our 250th wow. show anniversary coming up here pretty soon. But Thanks again for everyone tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.